And so it's a it's a delight um, for you to preach to us today. And can I can I pray for you? All right. Holy Spirit, I pray that right now you would fill Katie with um, yeah, your words and your love. Um, may she be a vessel for your Holy Spirit this morning. I pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds up to hear what you have to say to us um, through your word and through Katie. Okay. Oh, is it working? Great. Good job. I'm just going to stick my mic on my Nice to be with you all. How are you all doing? I'm sorry, I, I, I realised today I'm probably going to ask a few questions and I hadn't thought about the fact that we're all still wearing masks. But you are allowed to talk, even though you're wearing masks. I'll just have to get better at lip reading. So, yeah, we're continuing to look at our series um, in the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at the meals that Jesus has um, and what we can learn through those. Um, and today we're looking at the time he spent with Mary and Martha. So, yeah, Charlie, thank you for reading that for us. It is only five verses long, this entire encounter, um, which I'm actually really excited about because it means we get to dive really deep into those five verses. And I honestly believe that if there were ever five verses in the Bible that are this concise picture of the main battle for our lives, I honestly think it's these. So we'll try and unpack that a bit. Um, it's a story that most of you will be familiar with if you have been around church for any time. If you haven't, then that's fine, we're going to talk about it today. But um, Jesus is traveling around with his disciples. It's like sort of like the beginning of his ministry. Have any of you been watching The Chosen at all? Anyone? Yes, some of you, great. If you haven't, this is a shameless plug, if you haven't, then you need to Google The Chosen or download the app. You need the app from whatever app store you get your apps from, The Chosen. It's a series all about the life of Jesus and his disciples. It's written by Christians, but it's super high quality, and it will fill your heart with worship. That is the best thing I heard said about it. That I think, I mean, there's no greater advert for an enjoyable TV series than that. So it brings these kind of stories to life. And Jesus is traveling around. He's preaching in the towns and villages. They don't have a home or a fixed address, but Martha is generous enough to open her home and it makes sense that she's the older sister, talks about it as her home. And we read that Mary, who's her younger sister, is sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to what he says. And Martha is distracted by all the preparations that have to be made. Now, I, you know, I grew up going to church. I've done Mary and Martha in Sunday school. You know, Martha's bad, Mary's good, be like Mary. And the older I've grown the more sympathy I can feel with Martha. Because anyone who's had guests over to your home, you know that feeling of wanting to make things nice for them. It feels like a way of expressing love to people, doesn't it? Um, has anyone heard of the love languages? Five love languages? Is that a familiar concept? Yeah. Okay, so if you haven't, it's just these five ways that somebody has identified of, the, of expressing the different ways that we communicate, that we express, that we receive love. Um, and different people resonate with those different ways in a sort of different order. So you might be, I'll tell, let's find out what they are. So there's words of affirmation, there's physical touch, so those people are, you know, the huggers. Um, we've got a few of those in our congregation. <laughs> I was thinking Pim Nut at the back. You've got a, 
<laughs> Spare a thought for him in social distancing. As soon as all this is over, give Tim a hug. <laughs> Please don't. I'm really sorry. He hates hugging. Um, words of affirmation, physical touch. There's quality time. Uh, someone help me. Acts of service. And gifts, I know, I always forget gifts because I'm terrible at them. Don't really mean a lot to me. But um, growing up, I've discovered that, that that can change over time, the ones that resonate with you the most. I used to be all about words of affirmation and physical touch, like give me a hug, tell me something you appreciate, and we can be best friends. Um, but these days, I've discovered I am more and more exclusively an acts of service person. And I think it probably slightly comes with the territory of juggling work and parenthood and looking after a house. But these days, I just want people to put their shoes on the shoe rack. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Do you know what? I'm, those of you that know me well know that I am not a tidy person. I'm really not at all. I would, you don't even need to put your shoes on the shoe rack. I just don't want them in the middle of the floor. That makes me feel loved if they're not in the middle of the floor. So I find myself making excuses for Martha. I think, well, she's just acts of service, and Mary's quality time. They're just expressing their love for Jesus in different ways. But, and there is a but, um, there's this little clue that we get when we're serving to get something, rather than serving from a place of love. And that little clue is called resentment. So I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Maybe you've been helping out at some kind of church event or school event or something that you've been helping out as a volunteer. After everyone goes home, you're left clearing up with the rest of the team. Everyone's trying to clear up as quickly as you can because you're exhausted and you want to go home. And you spot a couple of the other people on the team just standing, chatting in the corner. How does that make you feel? You know, you've just spent half an hour hoovering. You want to go home. How, how do, you, do you feel like just silently praying blessing on their conversation? Or maybe not. Um, or if you're at work and maybe you're all really stretched as a team at work, the morale is low, so you're going in early, you're staying late, you're encouraging, like going out of your way to encourage your team members. Um, and someone else who you know has been slacking gets put forward for a promotion and you don't. It's hard in those times not to feel resentful. And whatever arena you're serving hard in, if you do feel, start to feel that little sense of resentment, you're not on your own. It's just a little hint that something might be off. And Martha is in this position. She is actually so convinced of the righteousness of her resentment towards Mary, who's sitting around, just sitting while she's doing all this work, that she comes to Jesus and she's angry, and she says, Jesus, do you even care about me? Look at her just sitting here while I'm doing all the work. Can you tell her to, tell me to come and help me? So she's really convinced that she's right. Um, another question for you. What is the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength. Okay, that's the first commandment. And then when Jesus was asked in the Bible, he said there was a second commandment. Do you know what the second commandment is? Love your neighbor as yourself. 
There you go, all top marks. Um, first commandment, second commandment. If we do the second commandment as the first priority of our lives, we're going to end up being bruised and becoming bitter in our attempt to love the people around us. Because, heads up, don't know if you found this, people are not that easy to love. But when we do the first commandment as the first priority, we can be refueled, we can be sustained through those challenges that will come as we're loving people because there is a bigger love that is carrying our hearts. So Jesus doesn't say to Martha that serving is bad or that hospitality is bad. It takes like a really, really brief look in the rest of the Bible to know that that's a good thing. It's something that God commands. It is a question of order, not order, it's a question of motivation and priorities. It, we, we can't love people well disconnected from God or love people well in our own strength. And in fact, Jesus takes it a lot further. He says, we can't do anything disconnected from God. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, if we take that at face value, he doesn't say like a few things. He says nothing. It's the vine and the branches that Ruth spoke about a few weeks ago. He's the vine, we're the branches. Disconnected from him, we can't bear fruit. Jesus himself said he didn't do anything that he didn't see the Father doing. And if Jesus chose to live from that place of connection, he didn't take a principle and run with it. He didn't follow a set of rules. He lived day to day in connection with his Father. He was showing us how we're designed to live, how we're created to live. The message of the gospel, the message that we carry is not try really hard, be really good, follow these instructions, and then God will like you and get, in, get you into heaven. That is, that is not what the message of the gospel is. The message of the gospel is you are loved. And your father in heaven has suffered unimaginably to save you from the consequences of living apart from him. You don't have to live apart from him anymore. All those things that get in the way, all those bad choices, all your broken, messed up heart, Jesus has dealt with it so that you can come home and be connected to him. So that's what salvation is. It's being in right connection with God. But it doesn't force us to live in right connection with God. He's not going to force you to do that. That's what he's won. That's the free gift that we get. But the free will part, the bit that we get to choose, is how much we're going to give our lives to doing that living in connection with God. At the end of the day, our lives, you can have one life that looks very similar to another life, but one is done in connection with God and one is not. Jesus says there's people that are going to come to him at the end of the age and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we perform miracles? And he's going to say, with sadness in his heart, go away from me. I, I never knew you. That is terrifying to me, that we could go through the motions, that we could do all of these things that he says are good, but if we do them disconnected from him, we've totally missed the point. That verse, what good is a man? What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? 
and I'm no way, I realize that sounds like really epic. I'm in no way trying to make us feel condemned if we're not feeling really connected to God at the moment. This is something that we all massively struggle with. But in that sense, because it's a point of life, it's something we need to regularly like, remind ourselves, remind each other, this is what it's about, so we can help each other stay on track. So, if it is the thing we're created for, the thing that we're going to find the most satisfaction in, why is it that it is such a struggle for us to stay in this place like Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus? Well, I would suggest that we were all born into a war that we didn't ask for. It's a reality of the fallen world that we live in. God has an enemy who will do anything he can to steal worship, to steal affection away from the one who is truly worthy. The issue of all eternity is who will be worshipped. There is a battle for your affection. There is a battle for where you're going to put your time and attention, your worship, if you like. So there are lots of different obstacles to our connection with God, and we don't have time to like, talk about them all today. Um, but I thought I'd really quickly touch on three of them. Um, obviously, one I'm actually not going to talk about, and it seems stupid because it's like the biggest barrier, is sin. But we've just done this confession thing that we do every week with each other. And if you're someone that's been around church for a while, hopefully you know that yes, sin is what creates that barrier between us and God. But because of what Jesus has done, it can be completely dealt with. Like we just, we just bring it to him. We say sorry and Jesus takes it. So that's the only reason I'm not spending a long time on that. If that's news to you, I would love to talk more with you about it. Um, but for now, I'm going to focus on three things that I've noticed mostly in my own life, being really honest, and maybe those around me that are the main obstacles to this connection with God. And the first one I want to talk about is distraction. This, in this passage, it says that Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And when our attention gets diverted from something, our affection always follows it. If our attention is diverted, our affection eventually follows. And we live in an age of distraction like the explosion of technology and travel and communication means that more than any other generation ever to have existed, distraction is something that you have to battle. Like, do you know what I discovered yesterday? It would take you 82 years to watch the videos that were uploaded to YouTube yesterday. Just yesterday. There is a myriad of things fighting for your time and attention. And half the stuff that distracts us isn't even bad stuff. I used this quote last time I preached, but I'm not going to apologize because it's a really good one. But um, John Piper says this, and I'm sorry I didn't get it on the slide. He said, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video, but the prime time dribble of triviality we drink in every night. 
none of us, none of us are going to set out to not fulfill God's plans for our life. No one makes that a goal. But you may just never get around to it. And even doing really, really good stuff, disconnected from God, gets in the way. That's a distraction. That's exactly what Martha finds. If Satan knows that he can't change your value system, he's not going to like manage to make, convince you that serving God is a bad thing. He's just going to try and get you to serve it disconnected from God. And that is what we call burnout. That's exhaustion. That just leads to exhaustion because we cannot do it disconnected from God. So that's distraction. Sometimes realizing that it's a battle is enough to wake us up and make us fight it. But managing our time is key with this one. Managing our time. If um, it sounds, I just, I'm, I'm conscious I don't want it to sound legalistic. Like, but if we, if you are a person that schedules time to pray in your life, I promise you, you will pray ten times more than people that don't schedule a time to pray and just leave it to, I'll do it when I find the time or when I have a chance. It's not because you're a bad person. It's just, if you schedule time to do something, you're 10 more times likely to do it than someone that doesn't schedule time to do it. It's the same in a relationship. Like, when I first met Dave, I didn't, like, schedule time to see him because we wanted to spend lots of time with each other. Um, but now that we've been married 15 years, we, we plan in a date night each week. And that's, I don't think of that as legalism. We've just worked out that relationships work better when you give them time. So it's sort of, it's spiritual discipline, if you like, rather than legalism. So that's distraction. I'm going to quickly move on to the other two. They are shorter, I promise. Um, the next obstacle to connection with God, I'm going to call pain or disappointment. When we, when we believe in a God who loves us, and bad things happen to us, it's really hard not to feel hurt and let down. Like maybe someone that you loved wasn't healed. Maybe you weren't healed. Maybe you were betrayed. And a lot of us struggle with that feeling of pain and disappointment. Have, I don't know, not everyone will have done the marriage course, obviously, because not everyone's married. But has anyone done the marriage course? <laughs> A couple of you. Um, there's this evening they do in the marriage course on relational conflict, um, which I remember really well. We did it at Andy and Anna Gordon's house. They are uh, wonderful at hosting marriage course, and you get to eat Anna's cakes. It's amazing. Um, but this evening on relational conflict, they talk about how when you're in conflict, you tend towards one of two stereotypes. There's the rhino, who's like shouty and aggressive and like angry and charges in. And then there's the hedgehog who tends to like withdraw and become really prickly and sulky. Um, and we had to just, like think about what we thought we were and what we thought our partner was. And um, Dave, without really having needing any time to think at all, casually suggested he thought I might be a Reinhog, which is actually just like both and like totally rude. Um, <laughs> it's sadly really true. I'm, such a work in progress when it comes to relational conflict. But all that is to say, it's really hard to be a rhino with a supernatural being that you can't see. And I think, therefore, a lot of us tend to go full hedgehog with God when we suffer pain or disappointment. 
and we just withdraw from our connection with him. And actually, the healthy thing to do, we can see in this passage, it might not look healthy, but it is. It's going to God with our negative emotions and processing them with him. We always hold up David as a great example of doing this in the Psalms, like he's angry, he's shouting, he's sad, and he just takes it to God, and he processes it, and he's healthy. Um, But I think that's what Martha does. She doesn't sulk in the kitchen and, like, not talk to Jesus. She comes to him with her anger, with her resentment. She might be a bit accusative, but Jesus doesn't get angry with her. He doesn't say, why have you come to me and said this to me? He's so kind. He's so affectionate with her, isn't he? He says, Martha, Martha, you can tell how much he loves her. And then he holds up this, this little mirror to her pain. He, he says, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things because anger always comes from pain. So he shows her the root of what, what she's really feeling. And then he shows her a better way He says, Mary, chosen the better part, only one thing is needed. So Mary actually does a really healthy, Martha does a really healthy thing, processing her emotion, and Jesus is kind and he directs her. So that's what I want to get better at doing with pain and disappointment. And the last one I'm going to talk about is guilt and shame. So I'm not talking about sin, I'm actually just talking about guilt and shame. Um, And I'm going to hold both my hands up here. This is something I've struggled with for 30 years since I became a Christian. I I can't bear the days that I've wasted living at a distance from God because I couldn't bear to bring my sin to him, to feel how much it hurt him, to know that he had to suffer because of me. I've chosen instead just to keep my distance, not to have to face that. And it is so counterproductive. So I get it, I get it, but... But it doesn't, it doesn't produce anything good. If God knew every sin you're ever going to commit before you were born and he still called your name, you can't disappoint him because he already knows what you're going to do. And he shed his blood for you before you had the ability to even give him one glance. So instead of wasting time on guilt and shame... Just run to him instead of from him in sin and be clean, say sorry, get cleaned and start again. And that is like a little sermon to myself as well. So the last thing I'm going to share today is the wisdom of choosing this one thing as the priority of our lives. I mentioned before that it's what we're created for. It's what's going to satisfy us most. But The last thing I want to say is that it's also going to be what sustains us through the storms that come. Last week, I woke up with this phrase going round and round and round my head. Um, It wasn't like a new phrase. It was something I heard about 12 years ago, I think, when I went to a conference in Israel. And I, I wrote it down at the time. I hadn't thought about it for years and years. And it was just going round and round in that like waking, sleeping phase in my head. And it was this. I wrote it down. When it comes to the shaking that's just beginning on the earth, you can either go through it with Jesus or without. There's no shuttle to Mars. That sounds really strange. When it comes to the shaking that's just beginning on the earth, you can either go through it with Jesus or without. There's no shuttle to Mars. We know from the Bible that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. 
but we also know that God is shaking everything that can be shaken so that only what can't be shaken remains. And we know that's only going to increase in the years before Jesus returns. And when Jesus talks about those days, he says the love of many is going to grow cold because of the increase of wickedness. People aren't going to understand what is going on. And don't mishear me. I believe there's going to be an amazing um, sort of harvest and influx of new believers into the kingdom at that time as well. But there's also going to be a lot of deception, a lot of confusion, a lot of fear. And the only thing that is going to keep us anchored during that time is our connection to God, the one who holds it all in his hands. I promise you that there is not one journalist, one politician on any part of the spectrum, not one church leader, no one who has the answers and no amount of getting our own political or religious convictions validated by that drip feed of social media and news articles that we surround ourselves with from people that think like us is ever going to make those convictions that we hold truth. Only our connection to the truth is going to keep us that on that narrow line. So this is something that like, we've been really challenged by in the last few years. And I just, I just wanted to throw it out today as a, like, this is something that I'm trying to live. I don't always succeed, but I'm trying. That we make a challenge to ourselves to never spend more time in any day listening to the opinions of others or sort of news, social media, all of that, more time on that than we do sitting at the feet of Jesus, Bibles open, dialoguing with him. I'm not saying that we have to do that for six hours or even one hour. I'm just saying, can we make it more than the time we spend on the stuff that is not? He's the truth. Like, this is the other stuff. Like, that's the challenge. And the last thing is that Dave and I, um, this is not our thing at all. It's something we started five or six years ago. John Mark Comer, who's incredible, read his book on the ruthless elimination of hurry, um, if you want to learn all about distraction. But uh, he does this thing called win the day, which is, it just means that you connect with God. It doesn't matter if that's for 30 minutes, five minutes, one minute. You connect with God before you look at your phone for the morning. Just make that the start of your day. Make that the first thing you do when you wake up, even if it's 30 seconds before you dive into the rest of it. Um, the last thing that Jesus says to Mary, no, not true. The last thing that Jesus says to Martha is that Mary's chosen the best part and it will not be taken away from her. It's the only thing that endures is this connection to Jesus. Like, everything else is going to try and tell us that it's the most important thing. We have to fight to maintain that eternal perspective. It's so hard in the busyness of everyday life. It really is. But your story... Your story doesn't end in 70, 80, 90 years when your body gives up. It doesn't. Like we're citizens of another kingdom. We're living for another age. That is the truth. And if we can keep ourselves aligned with that and encourage each other to do that, we're going to stay connected more to God, which is what we want to do. So um, thank you for bearing with that really long time. Um, I feel like what I wanted to do today with all of that I've just said is just for us to engage 
with God and ask him, like, we all know the struggle we have trying to stay connected to him. Um, and there might be a hundred different things that get in the way, but the Holy Spirit knows how to tell you the one thing that is the most important thing that he wants to deal with today or that he wants to give you some direction on. So I think let's ask him about that. Um, Dave, do you want to come and you can play really quietly just so we can pray together. Um, so I think we do this with the kids and kids work all the time. We can normally call it like catching from God. Hopefully it's not a new thing um, for you, but we're just going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come and we're going to ask him a really simple question. We're going to say, Holy Spirit, what is, what is the one thing that is the main obstacle to my connection with you right now? And just let him speak to you. He might show you a picture. He might, you might just hear it straight away. It's often the very first thing that comes into your head. So, Holy Spirit, we, we love you. We're so aware of our weakness Lord, you are God and we are not. And we thank you. We thank you that we are not. That you have everything we need. That you're not asking more of us than we are able to give. That you are longing to pour yourself into us and through us. So Holy Spirit, we invite you now. We pray. Would you come and speak to us? We want to know Jesus better. Holy Spirit, please would you show us that main thing that is the obstacle in our connection with you right now.